Turn with me then to 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Those words from American missionary Jim Elliot over 60 years ago. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. They were scribed in his journal. As a believer, he kept a journal of his journeyings with God and what God taught him in his life as a believer. But people thought he was a fool. Some people thought he was a fool because of what he believed in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people thought he was a fool because of what he was going to do, give up a bright, young American with a potentially prosperous future, giving it up to go and take the gospel to the most brutal and difficult tribes in South Central America. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. In the world's eyes, he was foolish. He used to be pitied. He's throwing his life away. What is he doing? All for this gospel of Jesus Christ. No one wants to be considered a fool. Sure you don't, and I don't want to be considered a fool either by anybody. The question is, who decides who is the fool? Who decides who is wise and who is foolish? Where is wisdom to be truly found? It depends on your point of view. We believe in the God who is all wise. The scriptures say in in Romans 16, Paul says, to the only wise God, to the only wise, God is wise. He alone is wise. He has revealed his wisdom. He has revealed what is wise. He has revealed what is foolish. He has the criteria. He evaluates according to his character. What wisdom is, what foolishness is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 9. He defines the characteristics of a wise and of a foolish person. And these two are complete opposites, as we'll see as we walk through the end of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. The message title this morning is this, You Belong to God's Wisdom. You belong to God's wisdom. Who is God's wisdom? It's Jesus Christ. You belong to God's wisdom this morning. So two things I want to look at this morning. Firstly, be a fool for Christ in the world's eyes. Be a fool for Christ in the world's eyes. Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. Let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. So these two comparisons, these two wisdoms, as it were, the wisdom wars, the wisdom from God, the wisdom of the world, and the total opposites. What the world says is wise, God says is foolish. What God says is wise, the world says is foolish. They're polar opposites, like North Pole and South Pole. 
like righteousness and sin, like God and the devil, like positive and negative, truth, error, love and hate, light and darkness. They're complete opposites. Pleasure and pain, war and peace. The two wisdoms, God's wisdom, the gospel of Christ, Christ himself who is wisdom from God, and the world's wisdom, opinionated. Its origin in human thinking, in a sinful heart, in a corrupt mind. Paul says here, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age or in the eyes of the world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. There is a command here at the beginning of verse 18. It says this, let no one deceive himself. It's abrupt, isn't it? That's challenging. Let no one deceive himself. This is absolutely key and critical. Let no one deceive himself. There is a possibility of the church being deceived by the wisdom of the world, which is foolishness with God. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks he is wise, let he become a fool. A more literal translation is, let no one delude themselves. Let no one delude themselves. The world's wisdom is folly, it's of human origin, it's man-centered. Paul is saying here, better to become a Christian fool, as it were, in the eyes of the world, than to go the world's way and be wise in the eyes of the world and be counted a fool by God. This, this warning here is in two other places in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 6, verse 9, and in chapter 15, 33. So in chapter 15, 33, don't be deceived, don't be deluded about the resurrection of Christ. Because some are beginning to be deceived. Thinking the resurrection had already happened, but it hadn't. The problem is that because they thought the resurrection had happened, there are moral implications for that. And sin was sweeping into the church. In chapter 6, there is a, a, a command again, don't be deceived. And that's about morality, because morality, as it were. The problem was that someone thinking that wrong was right and right was wrong. Don't be deceived, Paul says. You've got to get this clear. You've got to get this straight in your head. What the world says is wise, what God says are wise are complete opposites. Don't be deceived by the world's wisdom. And we'll go on and think about what that means just in a minute. But look, let me ask you a question. Where do deceptive ideas come from? What is the origin of every deceptive idea that has ever been made or thought of? What is the ultimate origin for that? Well, we only need to go back to the book of Genesis, don't we, when we see in the garden, Adam and Eve, in the temple of God, where God walked and he dwelt with them and he had fellowship with Adam and Eve. But then when God moves out and the devil moves in and says, did God really say that you can eat of every tree of the garden? 
What about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll become like God. You'll be wise. See, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of Satan, is it words deceptive. It only leads to tragedy. It only leads to destruction. Did God truly say? Did God really say that? And they believed the lie. Paul says, let no one deceive himself. Let no one take the ideas and take them on board and think it's okay and deceive themselves. When you read through scripture, that's what the devil wants. He wants to sow the seed, undermining God's word, to bring another slant, to bring another case. He wants you to sink for it. The tragedy, Romans 1.22, speaks of people who reject God's revelation. It says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They turned the worship of the incorruptible God and made worship like corruptible men, women, beasts, and creatures. Replacing the knowledge of God with idolatry and sin and darkness and false religion. So we need to be like God. Satan points to the fruit today, the fruit of wisdom. Our culture points to the fruit today and says, take it, get hold of it. It's sweet, it looks good, you will be wise. But God says, no, it's foolishness. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be wise. One of the things that can deceive us, teachers today outside in the churches or who profess to be Christians, putting new perspectives on Paul, putting new perspectives on gender, putting new perspectives on salvation, putting new perspectives on a whole plethora of different things. What are they doing to the temple of God? They are vandalizing the temple of God. They're destroying the temple of God. The prosperity gospel saying if you believe in Christ, your life is going to get better, you'll get richer, you'll get more prosperous and more healthy. Don't deceive yourself. That's the wisdom of the world, as it were, being imbibed into the churches. All human-generated thoughts about God and the way of salvation without reference to the word of God. Foolishness in the eyes of God. They're from the darkness, not from the light. Don't blend them. Don't try to have some kind of synthesis of truth and cultural thinking. Don't merge them. There is no middle way. There is only a narrow way. The Paul says, don't be deceived. Let no one deceive himself. The health, the well-being, the future of the church is at stake. And its commitment to Scripture, the pure interpretation and accepting God's words. So he says, don't be deceived. Let... And then he says here, let him become a fool that he may become 
wise. Let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Better to be thought of as a fool by the world, and to be faithful to God, to love God's word, to delight in God's word, to ignore the wisdom around. So there's two quotes here from the Old Testament, one from Job 5.13. He says, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. That's talking about the, the worldly wise. He's saying that wisdom will not carry on. That wisdom will be removed. It will be destroyed. God will bring them to judgment. Their own craftiness. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. It tells us in Genesis 3. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. Wily thinking, trying to penetrate in to the church. But you can't outmaneuver God. He's given us his words to protect the church, to enrich the church, to build up the church, the temple of God. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. That's from Psalm 94. In the context there, it's speaking about God is the avenger of his people. God is the one who acts on behalf of his people. He sees, he knows, he punishes. Worldly wisdom will have its day, will have its ends. He's saying, Corinthians, think these things through. Get hold of them in your minds. So let's have some applications to ourselves then this morning. Two applications from this point. Firstly, be prepared to be called a fool by the world. Be prepared to be a, called a fool by the world. None of us like to be called a fool, do we? But it's part of the cross of Christ that in the eyes of the world, sometimes that is a label that the church can be given. If we hold scripture close to heart, if we exalt Christ, if we love his word, if we preach his word, it's not going to stand well in your family if they're not Christians. It's not going to go down well in the workplace if you hold to Christ and you hold to the Bible. If you're studying science at university or at college, you're not going to find it easy. In the scientific world, there are Bible-believing scientists who have prominent positions. Some are faithful to a literal interpretation of Genesis. Some take God's word as it is. But sadly, some don't. Some want to be thought of as wise by the world. They can change their view to fit in. What a sad thing that is. Want to be thought of as wise rather than a fool. At school. Some of you kids are at school. Yeah, when they know that you go to church, if you love Christ, if you love the Bible, you might be thought of as a fool for doing that. It's not a wise thing in the eyes of the world to love Scripture, to follow Jesus when you're young. Be prepared in faithfulness to be called that or thought of as that. The cultural wisdom today is follow your dreams, isn't it? It's all over the, the movies and the media and so on. Follow your dreams. But your dreams may not be the will of God for your life. 
Follow your heart. Sadly, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The wisdom of the world says, follow your dreams, follow your heart, follow your future. Chart your own course, plot your own life. But no, God's wisdom says, follow Christ. Let it be better to be thought of as a fool by the world and to be thought wise by the Lord Jesus Christ. Following him, submitting to him, loving his word, telling others about him. You may be attracted to a non-Christian person. You profess Christ yourself and you're attracted to a non-Christian person. The wisdom of the world says, well, it doesn't matter. You can blend it. It can work. The wisdom of God says, no. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You might be called a fool for turning away from someone who's not a Christian who's attracted in you. But you're wise in the eyes of God. Wisdom and foolishness. Well, the wisdom and the foolishness is laid out in these chapters, isn't it? We will move on from this to some of the themes. And what is the, the ultimate wisdom of God? It's Christ at the cross. It's, it's the preaching of the gospel. That is God's wisdom. That is God's way of salvation. The Gentiles thought it's foolishness. The world thinks it's foolishness. Christ is the wisdom of God. Believing in him, you may be thought a fool by God, but he is the only way of salvation. He is the only way of life. He is the only way to peace with God. Be prepared to be called a fool by the world. But also, let me say this, be prepared to be called a fool by God if you reject the good news about Jesus Christ. Be prepared to be called a fool by God if you reject the good news of Jesus Christ. No one wants to be considered a fool. I am a fool for Christ, but the question is, if you're not a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's God's wisdom saying that. Word of God says that. There's so many academically brilliant people without God and without hope in the world. The scripture says that's foolishness. So the question is, have you received God's wisdom yourself? Have you believed in Christ yourself? Have you said goodbye to the world? Have you said, I'd rather be called a fool by the world to be right with God through Jesus Christ, to have him as my saviour, to have him as my wisdom, to have him as my greatest treasure, to have him as my all in all, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is the wisdom of God. Will you believe in him for yourself? Will you trust in him? Will you make him your greatest treasure? Will you believe and cast yourself on him? He longs for you to come to him. He wants to give you his wisdom. He wants to give you forgiveness and cleansing. He pleads through the word of God that you'll come to him and believe in him. Don't be a fool. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, 
second half of the message. You possess all things because you belong to Christ. This is verse 21 to verse 23. Let's read those together. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. All things present, all things to come, all are yours. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. I've read Corinthians lots of times, and those verses, I didn't really understand what they mean, to be honest, but they're actually a lot more glorious than they first appear to be when we understand what they mean. So Paul has finished his appeal, and this is a passage which is almost a bit of a parallel with Romans chapter 8. You know the glorious passage at the end of Romans 8, where life, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, whether it's life or death or principalities or powers or whatever it might be. Tribulation, sword, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. There's this crescendo building up. It's one of those amazing passages. Romans 8. In a sense, this is, this is like that passage. There's some similarities here. Therefore, let no one boast in men or in people. So he's going back again to the worldly wisdom and the exaltation of certain teachers. I follow Peter, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And people aligning themselves with one of these teachers and saying, well, I, I belong to this group, or I belong to Peter, or I, I, my heart's with, with Paul. He's the guy. He's the one who's the true teacher. The others have got things a bit wrong. I've known Paul. I was baptized by him. I'm following him. And these factions within the church, that is worldly wisdom. And Paul is dealing with that here. And he's got an antidote. See people boasting. Yeah, I've met Peter. I've met Paul. They were boasting in the connection to these men. And he's going to go back. He's going to say that connection isn't really very important at all. There's a much bigger connection that you should be boasting in. You should be finding your joy in. And he's going to tell here about some of the privileges that they have as God's people. He's saying, don't boast in men. Don't boast in your connection. Don't brag about who you've met or who baptized you. It's not really that important. Don't do any name dropping. We can boast in things, can't we? And bragging things about things, children or jobs or whatever it might be. We can um, identify ourselves or who we've met or uh, our connections, boasting in connections. If you watch any period drama, there's a lot about boasting in connections, isn't there? You know, Mr. Darcy and 10,000 a year and all these other things. There's so many different connections. In history, that's human nature. We can do that. It's full you know, in literature and so on. But there is this, this expression here as to why they are not to boast or glory in connections. He says, for all things are yours. What does he mean, all things are yours? What's he talking about here? What he's saying is that Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they belong to the church. World, life, death, things present or things to come, they belong to the church. They belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And the church belongs to Christ and Christ belongs to God. There's a connection here, all the way through here. 
So let's just open these up one by one. There's a bigger picture here, is what Paul is saying. Something bigger than you. Something bigger than earthly leaders. There's a bigger connection. Verse 22. Don't boast about Paul or Apollos or Cephas. The point is this. That God put these men at the disposal of the church. They are there to serve the church. All of them. With their gifts. With their background and abilities and their calling. They are all there. The church isn't there for them. They are there for the church. The church can say, they are ours. They are the servant leaders in the church. The wider church. That congregation knew these men. They went to pick allegiance to one man and not others. They're all God's men. They're all servant leaders. To pick one is the wisdom of the world, exalting one man. No! Under Christ, they are his team, his apostles, his preachers. God gave them all. They should appreciate them all, not splinter into groups, aligning themselves to any one of them. Paul, Apostle, Apollos, Cephas belonged to the church. They only existed for the good of God's people. Or the world, what does that mean? How does the world belong to the church? Why does God preserve the worlds? Why doesn't God just remove this world now? Why? Ultimately. It's because he promised that the church of Jesus Christ will grow and the elect will be brought in. God's people will all be saved through time and history and future years to come. Because when they are all saved, then it will all end. So the world exists because it, there needs to be a place for children to be born, to grow up, to hear the word of God, to be saved from their sins. They need air to breathe and an environment to live in. As it were, the, 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 the world is, is, exists for the benefit of God's purpose. God's plan of salvation. God's plan of redemption. When we grasp this, it expands our horizons. On a Wednesday, not, next, not this Wednesday coming, but the Wednesday after, David's going to take us through the covenant with Noah. Why does God preserve the world from generation to generation? For the sake of his people. For the sake of his purpose and plan. That is why he's doing it. Romans 8 talks about the world groaning and pain and travail. In, in the, the pain of childbirth until now. Why? Until the revealing of the sons of God. Do you get what I mean? What I'm saying? All the world. Paul or Apollos. All the world. All life. All death. We can think of God's people. We live and we die according to God's sovereign purpose for our lives. Our health is in his hands. Not only ours, but the, 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 the life of statesmen and politicians and power players and influencers and families and the people that we know. All our lives are in God's hands, in his timing, for his purpose, as best serves the glory of God and the, the interests of the kingdom of God. 
amongst us. Life or death, all things present, all things to come, God's providence in our lives, what happens, the bad things that can happen to us, the difficult things that can happen, are all pointing forward and part of God's plan, as I'll say in application in a few minutes. Things present, things to come, the future. We don't know what the future holds, do we, in our lives? But what we do know is, it serves God's, it serves God's plan of salvation and the future of the church. All things are yours. All things are yours. How can this be? How can this be? The point is that all things are yours because you are Christ. You belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to Christ, the one who has the keys of death and hell, the one who is building his kingdom, the one who says, I am with you always until the end of the age. The one who is prophesied about it in, in the Old Testament, which says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Christ is ruling. Christ is building his church. Christ is glorifying his name. And Christ is God's. He belongs to the Father. The Father sent him. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He belonged to God, the eternal Son. It was with God and was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He was his Father's servant. He belonged to him. You see, the church is at the center of God's purposes. Christ is at the center of God's purposes. God is at the center of his universe. All things are yours. Present, future. Perhaps the best summary of this is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a well-known verse. But we know all things work together for the, for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things are yours. All things work together for the good, for the blessing, for the advancement of his church. All things, world events, the details of our lives. So let's have a couple of applications before we close. Firstly, think about your status in God's grand plan. Think about your status in God's grand plan. Because you belong to Christ, you are part of God's glorious inheritance in the sense. Christ, you are part of God's glorious inheritance. You might not feel like it this morning. You might not feel very glorious this morning in your own heart before God. You might not feel valued. You might not feel joy. You might not feel very significant. You might not feel uh, big in the world's eyes. Well, maybe we're not. The world appeals to us to make a name for ourselves, to achieve, to progress, to build wealth and status and power and possessions, reputation. Yet if you go for those things, you only get discontent, 
and brokenness. How many children's lives are broken or sacrificed on the altar of a husband's career aspirations? Christians can go off the rail loving this present world. Maybe you're looking for status and value in the way that you look or your appearance, the clothes that you wear or labels or likes. But it's passing away. It's going to come to an end. If you're a Christian this morning, you belong to Jesus Christ. First and foremost, you belong to him. Your status, your connection that you have to him. Think about it this morning. What you are, what you have in Christ. Ephesians 1.18 says this, that it refers to the church as God's glorious inheritance in the saints. God's glorious inheritance in the saints. He loves you. He values you. Christ came to die for you. How much he loves you. It's, you can't contain the love of God for you. His grace, his kindness towards you. He's expressed it in his promises. He's expressed it in his word. How when he, Lord, increase my faith, they might grasp more of this. Remember what you have in Christ we'll be less inclined to seek what the world offers us. Joy and delight in him. Glory in him. All things are yours and you are Christ. Because you belong to him, you're part of God's plan, part of God's inheritance. Because you belong to Christ, secondly, your future is part of God's grand plan. Your future and my future is part of God's great plan as well. All things are yours. This applies to us, doesn't it? But you know, the world looks at the church and he says, well, it's naive. The church is deceived. It's deluded. Why would you want to read the Bible or believe the Bible? You're just, uh, you're, you're nothing. You're, you're, you have no influence in the world anymore. The world looks at the church and despises it. You're oppressed. You're brainwashed. You're just doing the will of a pope or of a, of a, of a monarch or politicians. You're pointless. You're just a chess piece, manoeuvred around a chessboard. You're just passive. You're deceived. But the reality is the complete opposite of that. Our lives are like pieces in a puzzle that build up a glorious picture of what God is doing in the world. We may look at our piece of the puzzle and say, well, it doesn't look that beautiful, or it doesn't look that big or that significant, but God has a place for it in his picture, in his purpose, in his plan to build the kingdom of Christ in this world. You are incredibly valuable to God. He loves you in Christ. He has a purpose to shape for you to fit in to his purpose. When we look at our lives, we might wonder where we fit into what God is doing in our world. I bet Joseph felt like that. Joseph in the Old Testament. He was a piece in a bigger puzzle, wasn't he? In a bigger picture. How much pain did he go through? How much betrayal and suffering and imprisonment and rejection? 
and neglect. What a waste of life all those years he spent being kicked around and despised. Yeah, what could he say at the end of his life? He said to his brothers who were scared that he was going to then just wipe them out after the dad had died. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He got a glimpse of the picture. He got a glimpse of what God was doing. In securing the Israelites from famine and bringing them to that place in Egypt where they would be enriched and grow. And then God would bring them out. He knew that God would bring them to the promised land. He knew they were going to go out. He said, bring my bones with you. He could see as part of God's grand plan. And God did push them out through Moses. We don't know what's happening, do we? Ukraine and Russia and Gaza and Myanmar and all of these places. And we weep over it, don't we? It it depresses us and it grieves our hearts. And we, we can't understand what's going on. These nations and players and politicians. But what we can say is that God is behind. God is working out his purposes. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Who are called according to his purpose. God's people, God's grand plan. Let's just lift our eyes, lift our horizons to God himself. Submit to him and to pray, and to pray for the gospel as it's preached. It goes to serve a greater purpose. All things are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. The things that happen in our lives, trials and difficulties. But there is a purpose in it. For us, if we respond in faith. Paul Mallard spoke at the Carey Conference. His wife developed multiple sclerosis decades ago. She's been in a wheelchair for 30 years. He couldn't stay at the conference. He had to be with his wife because at night she's in such pain that he's awake with her, comforting her, encouraging her. When yet when you heard him speak, that's a privilege to hear him speak at the conference, a tenderness and grace and care. Over as a pastor of the work that he does in the church it had done. He said, Well, God is worthy working something greater in his life, even through those difficulties and trials. We're at peace in a bigger picture. If we look up and God has revealed his big picture, building his kingdom, building up the work of Christ in the world. Let me finish then with a statement and a question. The question is, which which of these do you believe in this morning? That we're here by accident. It's human ideas. It's worldly wisdom. There is no point to life. Chance governs what happens to you. Or do you believe that You are a son or daughter of the living God who loves you, who has a purpose for your life and a future, as part of his great grand plan, that you belong to him, all the blessings of salvation, that he is your treasure, he is your glory, he works for your spiritual good in your life, even through the bad times.
as well as the good times. And you trust him for his glory. You're not on your own. You're not isolated. You're connected. The best and the biggest connection you could ever have to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is connected to God, belongs to God, triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, may God help us. May expand their horizons. May help us to look to him. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. May God help us to grasp some of these things for his glory. Let me just pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to grasp some of these truths. We thank you for this wonderful crescendo at the end of 1 Corinthians 3. We thank you that we do not belong to ourselves, that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he belongs to God. We praise you for that amazing connection. We praise you that all things work together for the good of your people, for the glory of your name. Oh Lord, we pray, teach us more of these things. Enrich our lives, enrich our faith. Strengthen our hope. Help us to look above and beyond to you, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Be with us then, we pray. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.